Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Amen. You may be seated. If you would, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. 2017 is a year of fabulous outpourings from heaven. Does anybody believe that? Amen. That's something that God has spoken through many different men and women of God about this year. Maybe they use different terms, but the principle is the same. This is a year where God really wants to pour out his blessings, his graces on his people. But one of the things that will prevent you from receiving all that Jesus has already provided for you is shame. Yet it's something that infects many of us. You know, I looked up the word shame and I, I found that it's defined as the painful feeling arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, ridiculous, etc., done by oneself or another. Another individual, another minister I respect defines shame as the sense of failure in the eyes of another person. It can carry with it the intense pain of feeling unworthy, disconnected, and unloved both by God and people. In fact, is many of us struggle with shame due to our past sins, due to regrets. I know I had a conversation with a guy in the church in Southfield maybe a month ago, and and he is someone that came to Jesus a little bit later in his life, and he just found out that a child he had out of wedlock was in a really bad situation, that the mother basically was no longer there, the child was in the ward of the state, and you know he wouldn't even speak, et cetera. And so now he stepped in to take care of his child, but he said he was just dealing with such regret that he wasn't there for him before that it got to this place. And he's asking me, how do I deal with this? And I actually share with him, hey, I'm about to minister on this. And some of us, that's where we are. We look at the past, we look at some things that we did, and we feel shame. Some of us feel shame because we failed in the workplace. You know, we, we, we lost this job, we lost that job, we had this assignment, we had that assignment. Uh, and, and because of that failure, we feel shame. And my assignment today is to help you to get set free from that. Because God's will is that you live shameless, that you live your life like you have never messed up, like you have never missed it, like you have never sinned. So let's start here in Genesis chapter 3. Let's look at the first place where shame shows up in man's story. We'll start in verse 7, and of course, Many of us know that this is right after Adam and Eve had disobeyed God and partaken of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it reads, and the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Well, notice that the Bible says the eyes of them were open. It wasn't talking about their natural eyes. Obviously, they were able to see before this. It was talking about the eyes of their spirit. The Bible teaches that you're not a body, you live in a body. You're not a soul, you have a soul, that's your mind, your will, and your emotions, but you are a spirit. And your spirit has eyes, just like your body has eyes. 
You can see on the inside just like you can see on the outside. And the eyes of their spirit were opened. So sin changed something spiritually. And because sin changed them spiritually, it changed how they saw their world. They were able to see that they were naked. Now, they were already naked before, but things have changed. And so now they see that they're naked, and apparently uh, they come to the conclusion that it's shameful to be naked. And so they immediately try to fix their feeling of feelings of shame their way. And that's part of the problem that some of us have right now is we're dealing with shame and we're trying to deal with it our way. So what they did was they, sick, they, they sewed together fig leaves, they made aprons of themselves, and then, of course, verse 8 reads, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Has ever, anybody ever had that experience when you were a kid when you did something wrong, and as soon as you got done, here come mama. Here come dad. I know when I was growing up, I could always hear my dad's footsteps coming up the steps. You always knew the difference between mom coming up the steps and dad coming up the steps. And it would be just when you messed up that here come dad. Well, that's what they're dealing with, man. They just messed up. They're, they're ashamed of what they've done, what they see, and here comes God. They hear his sound of him. That's what that word voice means, walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And that's what shame will do. It will cause you to run from God instead of running to God. So that's what they did. And once again, they're trying to deal with this the way that they know how, they, 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 the best that they can, they can know how. And, of course, verse 9 says, The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where are you? And he, talking about Adam, said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked, and I hid myself. It was very interesting to me here, first of all, was that he actually wasn't naked anymore. They just finished sewing them, themselves together aprons. They had already covered up, but he was still afraid because he was naked. There's a couple of things going on here. He knew he had sinned. He could see the results, and he was ashamed of what he had done. And he was afraid of the consequences. So what he did was he hid from God, and then finally he realized you can't hide from God. I mean, no, you can't hide from God. So he stepped up and he told God what was going on. But you can see here that shame was one of the results of their sin. Go to Ezra chapter 9, if you would. And you can see that shame is dangerous. You know, shame is dangerous. Shame is dangerous because it will cause you to run from God. Shame is dangerous because it is something that will keep you occupied. Instead of focusing on what you should be doing or what you can be doing in your future, it'll keep you occupied with your past. It'll keep you down. Shame is dangerous because shame will change your personality. You ever notice that shamed people shame people? You see that a lot if you just pay attention to what's going on on social media and the news and politics is that a lot of times people are trying to shame someone else because of what they've done and really all they're doing is trying to cover up what they've done or try to make themselves feel better. That's, that's why a lot of people go after Christians and after pastors. They just rejoice when a pastor messes up. Well, why? Are they really that happy that the pastor messed up and that all these people are hurt? Or maybe because they're happy because it makes them feel better about how they've messed up. 
And so sometimes if you carry shame, it, what that'll do is that'll cause you to go around looking for other people to shame. Uh, shame is something that, that really can hurt you. And honestly, Satan uses shame as a weapon to tie you to your past and to keep you from the amazing future God has for you. This is one of the things he uses to destroy your life. It's, that's why you can't continue to live in shame. It's why you must be set free today. It's why you must learn how to live shameless. Now, what's very interesting about the story in Genesis chapter 2 is, you know, if you were to back up the chapter 2 and verse 25, we read that Adam and his wife were naked and not ashamed. Then we see in chapter 3 that they're naked and then they're ashamed. So what happened that caused them to go from no shame to shame, from shameless to shamed? Well, they sinned. Ezra chapter 9 and verse 6. I'm going to read this to you from the New Living Translation, and I want you to notice what this individual says here. I prayed, oh my God, I am utterly ashamed. I blush to lift up my face to you. For our sins, there it is, are piled higher than our heads, and our guilt has reached to the heavens. He's saying, I'm ashamed because of my sin. Sin causes you to feel ashamed. Sin is the root and shame is the fruit. So how does God deal with this issue? We'll go to Isaiah chapter 53. Because I mean, know God has an answer for everything. Let me say it again. How many know God has an answer for everything? Yeah, he does. There's nothing that the enemy tries to do in your life that God hasn't already provided the answer for. So you came to church today dealing with shame. God came, brought, came to church today with an answer for your shame. And I tell you, you might hear this and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I, I, this is not a problem for me. And I can tell you that I would have felt the same way when I first started preparing this message. But as I started getting into it, I started realizing that this was something I was dealing with. That there were certain things that had happened in my life that, that I was still holding on to that I felt ashamed about and was actually impacting my outlook and my future. So you might say, hey, I'm doing great, and, and that's good if you're doing great, but I would tell you to still listen because God still may be able to set you free from some things that you're, you're struggling with that you may not even know you're struggling with. All right, so Isaiah 53, we know that sin is the root, shame is the fruit. What, 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 what is God's answer for this? And we can read beginning with verse 6. This is talking about Jesus on the cross. It's actually a prophecy of Jesus on the cross. One of the ways that we know the Bible is not just a history book, it's not just something written by man, that it is the word of God, is the accuracy of Bible prophecy. And of course, the bottom line is that uh, there are over 100 prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament alone, written hundreds of years, in some cases, over a thousand years before Jesus came. And the mathematical odds of 20 of those prophecies of the Messiah coming to pass are over one quadrillion to one. And yet history shows us that all 109 prophecies came to pass in the life of one man, the man who happens to be the most famous person on earth, the one who happens to author the, the, the best-selling book on earth. His name is Jesus. So here we have a prophecy about Jesus. Verse 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. 
we have turned everyone to his own way. Anybody find yourself in that scripture? Yeah, come on, tell the truth. If you're not telling the truth, you're not. You're lying right now, and you just put yourself in that scripture. <laughs> and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity, or that, or that word is also translated elsewhere in the Bible as the sin of us all. So when Jesus was on the cross, God the Father laid on him all of, all of our sin. If you jump down to verse 11, it says, He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify. That means to cleanse, to make righteous many. How is he going to do that? For he shall bear their iniquities. That's the second time we can see that, that when Jesus was on the cross, he bore our sins, he bore our iniquities. Verse 12, therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. We can see again, this happened when he died on the cross. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many. That's the third time that we can see that, that when Jesus was on the cross, he bore every single one of our sins. Go to Hebrews chapter 8. There's a song that I really like that was that's sung by a woman by the name of Lauren Daigle called How Can It Be? And I'm going to read some of the lyrics to you. It reads, I am guilty, ashamed of what I've done, what I've become. These hands are dirty. I dare not lift them up to the Holy One. But you plead my cause. You right my wrongs. You break my chains. You overcome. You gave your life to give me mine. You say that I am free. How can it be? I think it's a great picture of what we just read. That, man, we were guilty, and because of that guilt, we were ashamed of ourselves. But the Bible teaches us that that's not where God left us. That Jesus, out of his love, righted our wrongs, that he gave his life so we could have a life. He set us free, and indeed, we should be singing, how can it be? How can you love me so much that you would do that for me? And yet, that's what he did. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. And this is talking about the new covenant that now exists between those that have uh, followed Jesus, chosen to follow him, and God. Because of what Jesus did for us. And notice verse 12 says, For I will be merciful to their, sin, to their unrighteousness. In other words, you know, there is judgment that should have come as a result of our sins. And thank God we have not received that judgment. Because none of us would be here. God said, no, I, I recognize that you've done wrong, but I chose to be merciful to you, to hold back that judgment, to avert that judgment. That's good news right there, that we don't have to pay the price for our sins because Jesus did. But it's not all he said here. And I and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Oh, my. Man, that's some good news right there. God didn't just say, hey, I'm not going to give you judgment. But he said, I'm not even going to remember that you ever messed up. I will remember it no more. I like that phrase, no more, because if you look up the original Greek, New Testament is translated from the Greek, that word no is a double negative. Another way of saying that is never. 
The word more means longer. And, and I think, so no longer will I remember this. Never more will I remember your sins. The message translation says it this way. The slate of their sins are forever wiped clean. That means that Jesus bore our sins once and for all. He bore the sins you, the, that you have committed. He's borne the sins that you will commit. See, because you realize every sin you committed, you committed after he died and rose from the dead. He paid the price for every single one of our sins, and now when God sees you, he no longer sees your sin. When God sees you, he sees somebody that's clean and righteous before him, just like Jesus. How I many know we ought to give God praise and glory for that? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. We are free from sin. But we're not just free from sin. Go to Isaiah chapter 50. Remember that sin is the root of something else called shame. Isaiah 50 verse 6. This is a prophecy about Jesus. You can really see that as we start reading it. He says, I gave my back to the smiters. Well, that's exactly what happened, isn't it? He gave his back, right? Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down. We all know that Jesus indeed was whipped with something called a cat of nine tails. He bore stripes for us. So he's talking about that. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. They pulled the hair out of my beard. I let them do that. I volunteered for suffering. Why? Well, to to take our place, right? But that's not all he says. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. I mean, it's it's shameful for, for people to spit on you. We read that. If you were to go to Matthew 26 and read the story, of when he was sentenced to be crucified. They immediately start spitting on him. When he was on the cross, they're spitting on him. But of course, when you're on a cross, you've been beaten, you've been whipped, you're stripped naked, you've had nails put in your hands and your feet, and you're hanging here for six hours for all to see. How many know that's a shameful place to be? That's what happens to criminals, the worst criminals. In fact, that, that punishment was so shameful that if you were a Roman citizen, they couldn't crucify you. They had to find another way to punish you. They only did that to people who weren't citizens. So here's Jesus who in a position where he, he is being shamed and he, he volunteered for that. He just accepted that role. He chose to be the shame substitute. He didn't just bear your suffering, he also bore your shame. When he took care of your sin, at that moment, he also took care of your shame. You know, it's a custom in the Bible, uh, in Bible days, where if a man found himself in a tremendous amount of debt, he would write that debt on something similar to a sheet of paper. He would go to a particular doorpost in the city, and he would nail uh, that debt on the doorpost. And his hope would be that a rich man would come along, see that list, and decide to pay off the debt in exchange for slavery. And if the rich man saw the list and decided to pay off the debt, what he would do is he would take that list off the doorpost. He would then fold it, and he'd nail it back on the doorpost. 
And what he was doing was, of course, acknowledging that I'm going to pay this debt, but also by folding it, he now was hiding the shame of the debt. So now that person, because that debt was paid, would no longer have to have the shame of having their debt displayed to everybody else. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus did the same thing. He, he made sure that he was nailed to the cross, and that being nailed to the cross, our sins were nailed to that cross. But he not only bore the list of our sins, but he also folded up the paper. Because we no longer have sin, we no longer need to be ashamed of anything. When he bore our sin, he bore our shame. So we can live shameless. Now go to Hebrews chapter 10. Jesus took care of your shame when he bore your sin. Hebrews chapter 10. Somebody say, no more shame. shame. Turn to Abram and tell him, no more shame. shame. Turn to somebody else, say it with a little attitude. Roll your neck, snap your fingers, do what you do. Tell him, no more shame. (laughs) No more shame. Here, baby. I'm shameless. That's right. I said, I'm shameless. I don't have shame. Some of y'all need to start saying that out your mouth. Uh I'm shameless. Nope, no shame here. Jesus bore your shame. You should never bear anything Jesus already bore for you. If he took care of it, then you shouldn't try to do it again. Come on, if you went to the grocery store and you got $300 of groceries, and then I walked in and said, you know what, I want to pay for your groceries for you. Well, then you should, and then you, and you say, hey, man, thank you, go to God, and you walk out with the groceries. I mean, it would, make, it would make no sense then for you to go back in the grocery store and then try to pay for it again. People will look at you like there's something wrong with you. What do you mean? That guy just paid for your groceries. Well, in the same way, if Jesus already bore your sin, let's be frank, he already bore your sickness, he already bore your poverty, he bore your shame. Why would you then walk around and carry the same thing all the time trying to pay the price again? That's where some of us are. We're trying to make up for what we did. You don't need to make up for what you did. He made up for what you did. Oh, y'all, 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 y'all not with me. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Let's get to where we are right now. Somebody say, why, why am I still dealing with this? Well, because you, you still feel like this. Even though you know Jesus did this, he paid this price. Well, verse 1, for the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So notice that it's talking about the sacrifices that were done under the law. And the way God had to, to deal with man, the only way he could deal with men until Jesus came was that he would have them to sacrifice the blood of bulls and goats, and that blood would symbolically cover their sin so that God could still deal with them like they had never sinned. But there was a problem with that system, and the problem was that it could never make them perfect. It could never actually, as one translation says, perfectly cleanse them. It was temporary. And verse 2 tells us one of the issues with that, one of the reasons why that is, and and verse 2, and and really, actually look at verse 4. I'll read that first, and then we'll jump up to verse 2. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. So 
notice again that their blood could cover sins. And it's blood because the price for sin is death. So the blood would symbolize the fact that something has died for these sins. But the blood of bulls and goats, that really wasn't enough to, to cleanse sins. It could cover sins but it couldn't wipe it away. So what did God do? He sent Jesus and his blood could wipe it away. Right? When the Bible says in Isaiah 53, I'll remember your sins no more. As we just saw in Hebrews chapter 8, uh, Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sins from you. Right? So that's what his blood was able to do. But that's not all that happened there. Verse 2 says, for then would they not have ceased to be offered those sacrifices? Because that the worshipers once purged should have had, get this, no more conscious of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. So notice another problem with those sacrifices. The first problem was that they couldn't take away sin. But the second problem was that they did not accomplish the goal of removing sin consciousness. You see, when they stood there waiting for the priest to sacrifice the animals and then present that blood before God, uh, and of course, if you were to study this, you know that all of Israel would come together. The high priest would go into the tabernacle or later on into the temple with this blood and this was the, sac- the ceremony that would happen so that the guy could deal with them for the next year. But when you're standing there and you're watching the high priest, you're watching Pastor Carrot go in with the blood to, to cover up your sin from the last year, what are you thinking about? Your sins from the last year. You're thinking about every single thing you did wrong. And if you love animals, you're looking at that bull or that goat like, I'm so sorry. I should have been good, right? I mean, what are you thinking about all? I mean, so you leave this ceremony not feeling cleansed. You leave feeling shamed. You, you don't feel good. You're, you're thankful that he's merciful, but you feel like, man, I am a jerk. I am the worst of the worst. And I'm sure when everybody got home and sat down to eat, everybody was quiet. Or people start fighting. You know, well, you know, yeah, I did this, but you did this. You know what I mean? People shame, people shaming people. The result was the complete opposite of what God wants, which is not for us to constantly remember what we did, but for us to get to the place where we actually have no more conscious of sins. We don't even, see, the opposite of remembering is forgetting. We forget that we ever did it. The Apostle Paul was able to say this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and and the fact that he could say this should set you free because Paul was about as evil as they come. He's the first terrorist in the Bible, right? He is literally participating in Christians being thrown into prison or killed because of their faith. And, of course, we know on the road to Damascus, Jesus appears to him, and all of a sudden he believes he went from going to, to, to get after people that believed in Jesus to saying, well, what, what do you want, Lord, you know? But his, this was a guy who had a bad track record. It was so bad that when he did get saved, the, 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 the apostles, they didn't really want to let him in the church. And they weren't sure 
that he wasn't Trojan horsing them. You know what I mean by that? He wasn't just faking it. But this guy says in 2 Corinthians 7, we have wronged no man. We have defrauded no man. You almost want to say, Paul, you liar. You've wronged everybody. What do you mean you defrauded no one? But he had a revelation that everything that he had done was washed away by the blood of Jesus. And with that revelation came freedom from sin consciousness. And yet the way many of us live is we live sin conscious. You know, a definition for sin consciousness is simply a remembrance of sins which brings guilt, shame, and expectation of judgment. We all understand the expectation of judgment. When you were driving down the freeway, driving down 285, and you were going 85, and the speed limit was 70, it's still 70, right? And all of a sudden, you, you see a cop out of the corner of your eye. You did not see him when you were speeding up there, but he hid himself very well. And you didn't see him until it was too late. Now you are driving with your eyes on the rear view mirror because you have an expectation of judgment. You are very sin conscious. Before that, you weren't even paying attention to how fast you were driving. But now you got your eyes on, on, on the number in front of you. That's how some of us live our lives. We keep focusing on what we did, who we think we are because of what we did. We're constantly thinking about our sins, so we're sin conscious. And see, if you're living in shame, it's because you're living sin conscious. It's because you are constantly thinking about where you messed up. Constantly thinking about where you missed it. Constantly thinking about the results of that. And because that's always on your mind, that is, it, it, that's impacting what's in your heart, your emotions. And it's impacting whether or not you can receive from God, whether or not you can do for God. And then the way Satan works is he will use the people around you to constantly remind you of what you've done and of what they think that means you are. And so he will constantly, you know, and sometimes you, you, you got to deal with people like that. And I'll tell you a little later how to deal with, with them in a minute. But, but you, 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 you got this thing where people around you look at you a certain way. They talk about you a certain way. I can tell you that's something I have not had to deal with as much at, yet uh, as a pastor is, you know, how people do this to, to pastors. They do it to politicians as well. People in the public eye. Somebody, you know, they don't even have to mess up. Somebody can just say something. In fact, I was reading something yesterday, and, and this is, uh, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be political. I'm not, I'm not trying to say I'm pro this person or anti this person. But I was just in the airport yesterday, and I, I, I opened my phone to see what was on the news, and they were saying that a certain amount of people on the president's transition team, whatever, they, they're worth this much money. You know, so it's like they make more money than this amount of people in the world. And I read that, and I said, well, my goodness, that's actually the people you want in charge because they're successful. So you want successful people running your organization. But the way the world works now is if you make money, that's a shame. They're trying to shame them. And once again, I'm not saying I'm in support of anybody. Don't take what I just said and throw it into something else. 
okay? But the point is that, you know, I've not dealt with that yet, but I've watched ministers deal with that, you know? And, and I remember, you know, being here in Atlanta and, and going out with the SWAT team, and we're going into projects, and I'm going to witness people in the project, and they want to tell me about another pastor. Well, I heard this about this person and that person, and I actually started laughing and because I'm, the stuff they were saying about that church was the stuff they were saying about Detroit, Word of Faith in Detroit. It was the same stuff. I mean, exactly. They need, they, they got to take your, you know, they want your credit score before you can be a member. And, and I'm like, this stuff is not true. Where did they come up with this stuff? I'm laughing because I grew up in Detroit where they say the exact same stuff. I'm almost like, how do y'all, how do you get the same lie? Is this travel? I mean, what? Is, is this on the internet? How is this? You know, people will do that. They will come up with stuff. They will try to shame you. It's Satan trying to get you to live sin conscious and, and, and live in shame. So you, but Jesus came and washed away your sins. He came and, and, and washed away your shame. He actually paid the price so that you really should not have any more consciousness of your sin, not your past sin. So then what's the problem? If Jesus already took care of it, but I'm still dealing with it, why am I still dealing with it? And the answer is very simple. The battle against shame is a battle against unbelief. I'm going to say that again. You should write it down. The battle against shame is a battle against unbelief. See, the bottom line is, you have a choice to make. You will either believe God and in what he did through Jesus, or you will believe your feelings. It's that simple. Or believe what other people say about you. You either believe that Jesus came and erased everything that you've done and you have no reason to be ashamed. Or you'll believe that I've, I have every reason to be ashamed. It really comes down to what you choose to believe. And what you believe has a huge role in your life. This is why you have people in India where you've got a family in a home starving to death, but there's a cow out in the backyard. That cow could feed them, and that cow could lead to them having other cows and, and never having food problems ever again. But they're starving because of what they believe about that cow, that it's sacred, that it, it, it's a god. What you believe has a huge impact on your life. And the problem that many of us have had is we believe the wrong thing. We believe that I am, I am shameful, that I am worthless, that I'm not worthy of other people. I'm not worthy of God. And Jesus has said, no, I bore the sin that caused you to feel that way. I washed away all of your shame. You are shameless. You are a son of God, righteous before God and righteous before men, whether they know it or not. Which one are you going to believe today? Are you going to be shameless or shamed? You got a choice to make. Then the Bible teaches uh, God set before us life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. That's how life is. God puts choices in front of you. Jesus already paid the price. Listen, what he did was enough. Being spit on, being whipped, 
being uh, beaten with the reed, having a crown of thorns put on his head, carrying a cross, having nails put in his hands, nails put in his feet, having lay, hanging on that cross for six hours, being dragged into hell, tortured for three days. All of that was more than enough to pay for every single sin you have ever committed. You can never actually make up for it like he paid for it. What he paid for it was enough. It is done. It is finished. Will you believe that? Will you accept that? Will you say, I agree with you, God. I choose to remember my sins no more. See, one of the things we've got to learn to do is something I love that Brother Copeland said. When the devil tries to come to you and remind you of what you've done, you need to say to him, I do not recall it. I don't remember what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. You got the wrong person. You need to go talk to Jesus. I do not recall it. But what I do recall is that you were defeated. What I do recall is that I have authority over you. What I do recall is you're going to end up in the lake of fire for all of eternity. I do not recall it. And when Satan tries to send people your way, you can love on them. You don't have to say much to them, but get in another room and say, Satan, I don't recall that. I resist you in the name of Jesus. Jesus bore my sin. He bore my shame. I am righteous before God, and now I'm going to make you pay for that. That's where you need to live. Refusing to accept shame in your own thoughts or from a, or for other people. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Somebody say, I'm shameless. One minister I really respect said this. He said, God's view of you is so much better than your view of you. Well, that needs to change. I need to start seeing myself like God sees me. I need to stop thinking about what I did and start thinking about what Jesus did. I need to stop trying to make up for something that Jesus already made up for. God sees you as clean, and that's how you ought to see yourself. That's how he wants you to see you. He wants you to see yourself. So there's no more condemning yourself. No more beating yourself up. No more hanging on to the past. You can't do nothing about it anyway. There is no back to the future time machine. <laughs> You're not going to get it. Marty McFly is not showing up. The doc's not showing up. You can't get in the machine and go change your bed. You can't do a thing about it. But thank God Jesus did something about it. But what you can do is still take what Satan meant for evil and turn it to your good and your future. You can take all that you've learned from the good and the bad and turn into the person that God made you to be and have the impact God wants you to have and help him save the world. You can start that today if you leave your shame on the altar today and say, I'm going to live my life like Jesus paid for me to live my life. One of my confessions every day is God loves me today. Old things are passed away. I'm righteous before him. His blessing is on me. His favor surrounds me. Goodness and mercy follows me, and I can't lose. Every day, I got to remind myself of these things, and these things are true of you as well. Live shameless. Live your life like you have never, ever sinned. You might say, okay, pastor, but you know I do still mess up from time to time. Go to 1 John 1, 9 first. Let's go there first. Let me, let me give you the other side of this, and then I'll go to Hebrews 12. You are righteous 
now if you've chosen to follow Jesus. And if you haven't, today's a day. Let's deal with that past. Let's have a great future. But if you have chosen to follow him, man, you're heaven ready right now. If, just, if the skies were to part, you get to fly. Right now, if all of a sudden we heard the trumpet, dun, 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 and he said, come up here. You're going, baby. You're going. And if you can go to heaven right now, if you can walk in the pearly gates, don't tell me you can't walk in your office and be the man or woman of God God made you to be. First John chapter 1, verse 9. What happens though when I, as a Christian, mess up? Oh, you got this scripture in the Bible, and this is a this is a book of the Bible that's written to Christians. You know, he says we, we, we many times. He's talking to Christians. And he says in verse 9: if we confess our sins. In fact, you know what's worse, better than that? Let's back up for a second and say in verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I think that's worth reading. Because even though you may be someone that's chosen to follow Jesus, doesn't mean you don't miss it from time to time. Now, what it does mean is you shouldn't live your life in sin. You, do you follow? Thank you for those two or three amens. Do you understand the difference between I missed it and I'm just sleeping around with folk? And then somehow thinking that I'm all right. I'm going to church and I'm doing weed four days a week. Y'all look at me like you don't know what weed is. Don't lie. <laughs> when I'm cussing, I'm telling folk off all the, and this is my lifestyle. The Bible is very clear. And this is why people have a problem with, you know, I don't know why I'm going here, but I'll go here. You know, but I, I, if people have a problem with uh, certain lifestyles and, well, you know, how come I can't live this way and, and still be a Christian? Because Christians don't live that way. If you were to go to, from 1 John and you were to go to, you know, chapter two, chapter 2 and chapter 3, you know, it talks about that whoever's born of God, and verse 9 says, whoever's born of God doth not commit sin. That, that word commit means to practice. Christians don't practice sin. You can't practice sexual sin whether you give yourself a title or not. And then say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven. No. You just can't. It's no more than if I, commit, if I were preaching on Sunday and committing adultery on Monday through Friday. Well, when the skies part, I'm going to be nervous. <laughs> and rightfully so. You can't use 1 John 1, 9 like many of us use our debit card. You ever notice that debit card can be just as bad as a credit card, man? I mean... But you can't do that. God does not expect you to live in sin. You know it's wrong, but you're going to keep doing it and thinking going to church is somehow going to take care of it. This is one reason why, you know, I, I've never been a big fan of, of the, the practice of going to confession. First of all, if you're in our new covenant, you are a priest. You go directly to God. You don't have to go to a priest. But, you know, the idea is, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to the, I can do all these sins and then go to this priest. and all. No, no, that's not how it works. God doesn't expect you to live your life in sin. There may be things you struggle with right now. God expects you to get in the word of God, get in the church, and, and let's overcome these things, right? But you're not supposed to just, just blatantly just go live wrong and then just, you know, say the name of Jesus. This ain't Harry Potter. 
You just throw a little word out here. No, you know. But if you're living for God, there's still going to be times you mess up. There's still going to be times you miss it. And yet, verse, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He is, he has, you can count on him, and he has the legal right. That's what just means. Why does he have the legal right to do this? Because Jesus already paid for the sins. Because forgiveness is now on your menu. It belongs to you when you need it. It's like you go to McDonald's, they have the legal right to give you a Big Mac. Because <laughs> it's on their menu. They do not have the legal right to give you what Burger King calls their thing. I can't remember off the top of my head. A Whopper. Because Whopper's not on. But see, God has put forgiveness right there next to healing, right there next to prosperity, right there next to, to everything else that God Jesus has provided for you. So he has the legal right to give you forgiveness. So he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and get this, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word unrighteousness means all wrongdoing. Well, if he's cleansed you, then you are clean. Right? If he cleansed you, you're clean. So even when you mess up, when you do, you know, I, I don't I believe in every morning getting up and saying, God, I forget every single sin I ever forgot. You know, I did in the last five days in fear. But when I do know I messed up, I go to God. I'm sorry, Father, I messed up. I ask you to, to forgive me and cleanse me. And then I live my life like I never sinned again. Amen. I don't live sin conscious. It's like if I came here, if I had a big stain on my, on my jacket, I was eating some barbecue and I had this huge stain, and I had to go throughout the day with a stain on my jacket, well, I'm going to walk around kind of ashamed, you know. But once I've taken it to the cleaners, the, 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 the stain is gone. Well, I shouldn't live to walk around the next day. People, what's wrong with you? No, it's cleansed. I can live like I never had a stain. And that's how we ought to live our lives. Yeah, you might have messed up from time to time, but guess what? Jesus washed away your sins, and, and, and now you can live like I never sinned. You can live shameless. Now, Hebrews chapter 12, last thing. Y'all get anything out of this? Somebody say, no more shame. Turn to them and tell them, no more shame. Find somebody else, tell them, no more shame. Find one more person, tell them, you know Jack. That's the old Sister K thing. Some of y'all know Sister K. Now, we do live in a world, though, that will try to shame us for our faith. And we see this more now than we've ever had in our country's history. Where now being a Christian is not only not normal, it's not cool. In fact, it's beyond that. There, there, we, there was a, a case in court maybe sometime in the last month where the attorney argued that the Bible itself is an abusive document. And, and so you've got that kind of stuff going on where, you know, being a Christian or, or trying to live your life according to the Bible's values is something that not only is frowned upon, it's something to be ashamed of as far as the world views it. And it's so far that obviously we know Christians who have, you know, they got a woman in, in, in the Pacific Northwest and she's in her 80s and she lost her flower shop and they're going after her savings because she didn't want to use her talents to, to uh, contribute to a same-sex marriage. And she's just one of many, many cases like that. 
you know, where she, she serves those people anytime, all the time, except in this way. You know, these are regular customers. So they're going after her. The state's going after her. You know, it's a national thing, you know, and, we've, and you've heard stories like that. If you've not heard that one, you've heard other ones. You know, where all she's doing is operating according to what the Bible says. And the Bible's very clear about, you know, same-sex attractions, and, and that just considers a sexual sin, just like if I went and cheated on my wife. He's not saying, you know, it, it, sin is sin. It's horrible. And so we see that. Where if I'm a Christian and I, I, I don't want to cuss, I don't want to cheat in the workplace, I, I'm not going to watch bootleg cable. Uh, I don't want to go to the club. What do you mean you don't go to the club? You're single. What you, you ain't, you, you're not, I, I'm still a virgin, but, you, but you're 25, yep. We can go on and on, on where they're shaming you. They're trying to shame you for your faith. And the whole point here is that Satan's got every nasty thing coming out the closet while he's trying to get Christians to go in the closet. And you can see this even politically because now you'll notice certain political figures that they, won't no long, they will no longer say freedom of religion, although that's what's in the, the Constitution, that's what's in, in all those documents. They will only say freedom of worship. And the idea here is freedom of religion means I can live my life outside of the church, live my faith in the workplace, in my school. And, but freedom of worship just means I can only do that in the church building. So that's the environment we're in. And, and in certain quarters, that's only going to get worse. So how do I deal with that as a Christian? The fact that just the fact that I'm a Christian means that people are going to try to shame me, try to make me feel ashamed, try to make me hide my Bible. I was on a plane last night, and I got on a plane, and I was on Periscope. Some of y'all might have been on there with me. And I said, hey, I'm pulling out my Bible right here on the plane. And one of the people joking with me like, oh, wow, shameful. You know what I mean? You know, because there was a time when that was a no big deal. But, you know, now I pull my Bible out, and people look at you, and some folk look at what, what? Is he writing in that thing, you know? I've heard stories of people pulling out a Bible, and people having a problem, and, you know, you can't read that on the plane. Do I hide my Bible or do I pull it out just as much as I would have before? How do I deal with the fact that they're going to try to? That's what happens a lot of times. When they, see, this is one reason why you can't listen to the media when they attack other Christians, when they attack even Christian politicians, and when they attack Christian ministers. Because you got to realize there is an agenda. And so, you know, they're going to they're try to shame them for things that are not shameful. And so that's why if I read something, I learn now, if you look at the media, I learn now I cannot take the word of one media organization anyway. I'm going to look at this channel, and then I'm going to look at this channel. And I'm gonna, and so same thing when it comes to what's going on with some other believer. I'm going to go find out the facts because I understand that Satan's goal is to shame believers and to not living their faith. That's what persecution is designed to do, to shame you. How do I deal with that? Hebrews 12. Verse 2. See, I'm getting a little too comfortable now. Let me shut up. Let me hurry up. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. We've already talked about that there was shame that went along with the suffering that he endured. But I want you to notice how Jesus dealt with that shame. 
Because, see, he actually hadn't done anything shameful. So he, we've already read, he said, I didn't hide my, my face from the shame. I, I was there. I endured the shame. But notice, he didn't seem to embrace the shame. The word despising here, one translation says disregarding the shame. In other words, it's like he ignored it. They saw him as shameful. But he didn't. He saw himself as victorious. The apostles did the same thing in Acts chapter 5, where there was a time where they were taken, they were beaten to try to get them to stop preaching about Jesus. And the Bible says they left, giving God glory that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They understood something that Jesus had taught, that if you are shamed because of your faith in me, great is your reward in heaven. So they didn't see themselves as shameful because they were preaching the gospel. They saw themselves as victorious. We're pleasing God, and now we've just picked up greater reward than we would, we would have had before this happened. Now, understand, you don't have to be beaten today. There are revelations that they were walking into that we have today. You have authority over the enemy now. You know you can walk in divine protection. But the point was how they dealt with the shame. People are going to try to shame you. Ignore it disregard it, refuse to embrace it, refuse to in any way allow yourself to feel shame for your faith in Jesus Christ. Refuse it. It's just that simple. I love basketball and watched the games last night and, you know, it's kind of ironic. I'm a, I, I, I went to Michigan as well as Kennesaw State. So, you know, I watched Michigan play a couple weeks ago. They lost to Oregon because they didn't box out on a rebound. Last night, Oregon lost because they didn't box out on a rebound. I actually kind of felt good. No, anyway. Um, but, you know, if, you, if you're playing in a game and you're playing at the other team's court and you're standing on the free throw line, what are the fans doing? They're screaming at you. They're waving. They got signs. They call you names. Their whole goal is to get you to miss. But a good free throw shooter ignores it all, and he just keeps his eyes on that rim. He ain't got to say nothing. Swish. That's all that has to happen. Everybody just shuts up. That's how we got to live as Christians. They are going to yell at you, talk about you, try to take your job, try to shame you in every way, but you keep your eyes focused on pleasing Jesus. You keep your eyes focused on doing what God told you to do. Family will talk about you. See, you've been going to that church, and look what happened to your marriage. Look what happened to your body. Look what, but you just keep your eyes on pleasing Jesus. Keep your eyes on the author and finisher of our faith, and when you get done doing what God told you to do, swish. You know, look at your life and you won't have to say anything. Look what God did in my life. And then they'll want to join the team. So I want to encourage you today. Jesus paid the price for your shame. Live shameless. When the enemy tries to bring thoughts of shame your way, resist the devil. Tell him I rebuke that I'm free of shame. When the world tries to shame you, ignore it. Do what God called you to do. Let's live like we've never sinned before and live the amazing future God has for us. Come on, lift your hands toward heaven. Let's just thank God for loving us so much that he dealt with our sin, dealt with our shame, set us free. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for speaking to us today. You are so good. 
You are so wonderful. You are so worthy. You are a good, good father. And you are perfect in all of your ways. We love you, Father. We love you, Father. Now every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.